Welcome to the Francisca Show podcast on JewishCoffeeHouse.com, the show where I give a voice to Jewish issues, topics, and people. I'm Francisca Frady, your host. Welcome to the Francisca Show. Today with us, we have Josh Aronson from the UK. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's good to be on the show. Okay, so tell us a little bit about yourself. So my name is Josh. I'm 36, almost 37 years old. I grew up in England. To I like to say in uh, lectures that I give, I'm the seventh of 14 children, so I have middle child syndrome. I am the son of a rabbi, so I have rabbi's child syndrome. And I'm also on the autistic spectrum. Basically, messed up. At age 18, my parents sent me to Israel because they thought there was more help for people with disabilities in Israel. I imagine what, what they thought for Jewish people, there was more help for people with disabilities there. I haven't investigated, but I think that there are a lot of help here in the UK. It's just that for the from religious Jewish people, I don't think there was much to offer, which my parents felt that was important. I went to Israel, I went to hostels, which let's say many of these hostels were there for the money and not to help people with disabilities. After several years there, I was in transition and by chance I entered a cab and it turned out to be a TV show, Cash Cab. I won 2,500 shekel, but I also won the knowledge that media and communication on how strong that is. And I decided to use that medium in order to show that people with disabilities can do anything. At that same time, I went into a new hostel, Shekel organization, an incredible organization in Jerusalem. They had a extra coolie activity where their TV show where they produced in community TV. I worked with them. I worked on their community TV show. And then I wanted to get into the big stages. I was lucky enough that Danny Cohen, then the world director of BBC, heard of me and offered me internship in the UK in Shiba Productions, which is a production company that works with ITV and BBC. I did a month internship in Shiba Productions, which changed the way that I looked at production and work in production and communications. Came back to Israel. I got a job in Karen Ayasad, the United Israel Appeal, the official fundraising organization for the state of Israel. And along the way, I found myself as a journalist for Marib newspaper, which is one of Israel's biggest newspapers as a news journalist. I currently do general news and I cover mainly the diaspora, diaspora Jewry feature, which covers all the diaspora Jews around the world and all what's involved with that. Thank you so much for this introduction. There are so many topics that we could discuss today. One of the ones that piqued my interest specifically, although my mother had her interest she wanted to focus yeah, on. Yeah, first of all, we have to thank your mother for this interview because 
I was covering an event of your father's, Rabbi Pinchas Goldschmidt, who is an incredible person, and I covered quite a lot of uh, events of his. But after that event at the airport, I was talking to your father and your mother, and your mother really liked my story and said, you have to get interviewed by my daughter. So we have to thank yeah, uh, your parents. Okay, before we move on to the topic of today, which is being in a marriage where one of you is committed to the Jewish lifestyle, one isn't, and feel free to change my language. I'd like to just ask you, what's it like being on the spectrum in the firm community? What has your experience been? Because that sounds like you have had a lot of success and a lot of recognition, but I'm sure there's another side of the story, and I'd like to hear that. I grew up in a regular cheder background because no rare schools for people with disabilities. Unfortunately, I was very, very severely bullied and hurt not only by my classmates, but also by my teachers who did not understand on how to deal with people with disabilities. I also work as a disability coordinator for the Israel reform movement. And we had religious people coming to us saying, we want our child to have a bar mitzvah and the religious synagogues won't give them a bar mitzvah because they're total mitzvot because they're disabled and we know that you in the reform movement do give a bar mitzvah so how about you give us the bar mitzvah on which we did hold on so the regular shul won't let the young boy lane because he's disabled? They won't. Uh, I mean, now a lot of the shows are changing that. I know that a lot of the shows working that they would let the boy get Aliyah and then, but then they would go over the Pasha that everyone would be. But there are a lot of shows that still won't do that and still say, no, he's disabled, he's patal for mitzvot, and therefore we can't give him an aliyah, and we can't accept him for the bar mitzvah leaning and the bar mitzvah experience, which is extremely, extremely sad and extremely, extremely not causing that exclusion in the world, which it says, you've got to love everyone. And it doesn't make a difference if you're disabled or not. People with disabilities, people like myself, we, even if we might be petal for mitzvot, that part of being an exception, it's something that we know. It's something that we see all of our friends, our colleagues, our families go up and do the bar mitzvah ceremony. And then we're told, no, because you're disabled, you cannot do that bar mitzvah ceremony. And that is something that we have to change in the religious communities. That is something that we have to change in all communities is to include everyone. It's all, there's a lot of organizations that do incredible work for people with disabilities. But then they, on the other hand, they exclude them from different aspects in the Jewish lifestyle 
because they say, oh, he's disabled, so we cannot do that because of the Torah lifestyle. What the Torah lifestyle is to include. So you go up, you, you're an extra five minutes late for davening because you have to go over the pasha again. That's fine. There's nothing that says you cannot do it. Okay. And for anyone who doesn't know you, can you tell us a little bit about your disability and what it's like being you? You know, it's very individualized, but we'd like to get to know. Autism is a very different aspect. So you have different levels to autism. You have autistic people that cannot speak. You have autistic people that have different aspects. One of the aspects of autism which I dealt with, which I had the problem with, was communication. I, I mean, even now today as a journalist, I'd rather message the spokesman that I'm corresponding to get a quote than to actually speak. Yes, I would speak. I would interview in person. But I am very withdrawn into myself. Social interaction is something that I had to work on myself. Hygiene is something I had to work on myself. I once came to a job interview with a coffee stain on my, on my shirt, and I had no idea that that was wrong because I, I thought that it's better to be late and to be on time for the job interview than to come with that coffee stain on my shirt that I'd spilt coffee on the way. That is something that is ingrained in someone that's too social skills, the hygiene skills is generally ingrained into people. But for people like myself, it's something that I had to learn. Temple Grandin, I think, says it the best thing away. Temple Grandin, for those that don't know, is a professor in Columbia University, someone who has changed the world, the way the world thinks of agriculture. And in fact, in every milking and they use her system because it's the most humane way is she herself has autism and she says that the brain works in two ways you've got the strong side which is the talents which is the memory which is the the learning aspect but then you've got the other side which is the side of the hygiene, social aspect, etc., which is weaker. And you have to use the side of the talent to overcome the side of the uh, social aspect, the hygiene part. That also, also works. It's like our mind is like a computer. So if someone would tell me something, someone would say something, it would be stored into my brain. And when someone else would say something, it automatically, my brain does a search like a computer, which would then bring up that relevant fact. I mean, today on the day of recording, I don't know if you're, when this is going up, but today there's a massive terrorist attack in Israel. And obviously, I, along with every reporter, scrambled out to basically report and find different facts. And uh, I remember that just when one of my colleagues said, well, we need statements from Hamas, Hezbollah. And I remember that on one of the groups that I am on, 
that Hamas had literally half an hour before that had brought out a statement. So I looked at that statement and automatically I realized, right, that is that statement that corresponds correctly to to the terror attack, which I sent it to my uh, editors and that brought in an, another article, but also something that we that we can use and any stories or i can tell you a story of an article i did that in germany where i i was at an event in malta actually with your father the cer tech event and your father's german pr guy said to me you know there's a hospital in germany that does a kosher kitchen and a synagogue and I said, oh, well, that's interesting. That's something I want to do and want to investigate. And so he brought me over to Germany to that hospital. And I was sitting with the mashkir and he said to me, I don't speak English. I don't speak German. And I don't speak German. And I said to him, but he didn't realize at the time that I did speak Hebrew. And I said to him, okay, I remember years and years ago that I was in Cheda, speaking Yiddish. So I pulled out from that memory the Yiddish, and I did a whole interview with the Mashkech in Yiddish. And that brought about to one of the greatest articles of my life, because when I was sitting with him, he mentioned to me a fact which I then asked the CEO about. He said, the grandfather of the CEO was a famous Nazi. And I turned to the CEO, I said, why did he open the hospital? And he said, well, my grandfather was a Nazi. And I brought out a story that went viral, went everywhere, that grandson of a Nazi opens a kosher kitchen and a synagogue. So it's all using that memory, that memory of the Yiddish that brought out the, that interview with the Mashkiach. If I'd never have remembered that Yiddish, I could never have interviewed that Meshkiah because we wouldn't have realized that one of us, that both of us does have a common language, Ivrit. Thank you so much for illustrating that. I'd like to move into your personal story. How did you find your wife? Okay, so I met Esther a couple of years ago. I was visiting my parents in Manchester. And I am a huge, huge fan of Manchester United. And a friend of mine that I was at said to me, why don't we go to a pub? There's a away game on Manchester United. Why don't we go to the pub and we can watch it there? So I went to the pub and a mutual friend of both Bowers, who knew my wife, my current wife, Esther, brought Esther to the pub as well to watch the game. This mutual friend of ours said to me, you're a journalist a registered journalist. Esther wants to be a journalist. She's doing community radio. Why don't you speak to her? And I spoke to her. I gave her some advice. I even, um, she even interviewed me on the radio. I got to know her and I got to realize on what a, a special person was. By that time, I didn't think it was something that would work because I, during my journey, became not religious, while Esther is very religious. And during those years, I got to know Esther more. 
And I realized, you know what? Just in life, you have to compromise. Ursa was this we can compromise. And we live in compromisation. We have different compromises. For example, in the house, we only eat kosher. But outside the house, whatever I want to eat, that's fine. Shabbat. So I would make kiddush for her. She would go to shul. Sometimes I would pick her up from the shul. But at home, I would be with my headphones because obviously not to disturb her. So I would be with my headphones, listen to music, listen to movies, etc. Can I ask you uh, why? What was your journey to choose an alternative path to what you were raised in? I was severely abused as a kid. I was sexually abused by one of my teachers. I was bullied severely by my classmates. And then I go off to Israel and I think that'll be better there. But then in Israel, I was sexually abused by counselors in a religious hostel. I was bullied severely by the counselors in the religious hostel. And at that time, it caused me much hatred towards the religious community. But then when I was at the bottom, bottom of despair and literally in the lowest ebbs of depression, I met a rabbi. And that rabbi, uh, Rabbi Shmuel Zalbib, literally changed my life. He literally saved my life. And it made me realize that not all religions are bad and that Irreligious that are bad, there's religious that are bad. But during that journey, it made me feel I can't, I, I feel that there is an alternative route to Judaism and that God wants someone to be good and kind to all of this. That's what God wants us. And it made me change my outlook on how I look on religious people. It made me realize that not all religious people are bad. And I know that I've got a long way to go, but it just, that because of what I went through, it's what made, made me change my outlook in life. I'm so sorry for what happened to you. No, because I say whatever hurt me, just makes me stronger. If you look at that teacher who sexually abused me, where is he now? He just got out of jail from, from other crimes. He just He's living as an outcast. Nobody would be willing to look at him. Nobody would be willing to work with him. And where am I? I'm a guy that sits with the president of Israel on a one-to-one -one just because the president of Israel hears that I'm visiting Israel and wants to hear what's news with me. How, how am I? I'm the guy that walks around in the uh, Israeli Knesset when I'm, I'm visiting and all the members of Knesset from right and left says hello to me. I'm the guy that goes to New York and they put him up in a top suite of a hotel just because he's a journalist. I'm a guy that has all the different perks of the journalist and, and is highly respected as a journalist. You know, they didn't manage to hurt me. 
they just managed to make me stronger because it's those hurt from inside me is what makes me stronger. It's what makes me work to prove myself more. Great response. Talk to me about pluralism and the work that you're doing with that. I very much think that in a lifestyle, people's got to respect other people's beliefs. So one has to agree with everyone's outlook on life. So just like we in the non-religious world has to look out for people in the religious world and are very much against all the non-religious that go against the religious people, I think that everyone has a right to live the way they are. And the religious have to look out for the way that people with non-religious live. After respect, if someone wants to live a life as an LGBT peer, fine, be my guest. If someone wants to live out their life eating bacon, fine. If someone wants to live out their life just staying all day long studying the Torah, fine. It's got to be a way that everyone respects each other's beliefs. Everyone respects each other's way of life. I used to be chairman of the Jerusalem faction of the Merits Party. And I changed the perception of many members of the party on the way of the outlook towards the religious section of the of the city. I actually, one of the most things that I'm most proud of is that Merit's Jerusalem sits in the coalition together with religious factions. And those religious factions accept the fight for Torah, the LGBTQ house in Jerusalem, and in the coalition agreement, there is a clause accepting LGBTQ and uh, accepting the non-religious section of the city. Yeah, there are extremists that keep on fighting about that in Jerusalem, but there is exception. There is acceptance has sat down together with Moshe Leon, the mayor of Jerusalem, and other factions from Jerusalem and explain non-religious outlooks or reform outlooks or different outlooks in the community. And whether it's in Jerusalem or whether it's around the world, I will continue fighting that everyone, no matter who, accepts one another. It's one of the things I'm so, it makes me even better that I married a religious person because that's true pluralism is accepting my wife for who she is. If she wants to keep religion, she can. And what makes me lucky is that she's is a pluralism by accepting me who I am, by accepting my non-religious background, my, my non-religious aspect of life. And it's just working with everyone until we have a world that accepts everyone, no matter if you're religious, no matter the politics that you are, no matter your sexual preference, no matter your gender preference, we are one. We are together equal as one. And that is what has to change in the world, is that aspect towards one another 
just because they're different. Two follow-up detailed questions. Number one, does your wife have any disabilities? Yeah, my wife is visually impaired. She has a genetic syndrome called Bardet-Biedel syndrome, which causes visual impairment and slight retardation. But together we work on a pair to help each other, whether it's the cooking or the washing or any other aspects of the household, which I have to do due to she, she can't see that. But she helps me with all different aspects of my life as well. And we work together as a pair. Incredible. That's really beautiful. My second follow-up question was, do you have children? But you didn't mention them as part of your household <laughs> responsibilities. <laughs> Not yet. We decided when I'm financially, when we're financially and emotionally secure, that's when we'll go for children. Unfortunately, at this point, we're not at either. So hopefully soon, maybe one of your followers will see this podcast and will offer me a second job. Because unfortunately, journalism, which is the most, the thing that I love the most in the world, but it doesn't pay that much. So I, in Israel, I was working for, besides Ma'ariv, I was working as a Karen Aisad, the United Israel Appeal, and the Reform Movement, Israel Reform Movement, as their disability coordinator. And the Karen Aisad, I was in the communications department. So that gave me a nice enough wage to support myself. But when I got married to Esther, and because of Esther's visual impairment and because of my travel a lot because of my work, we realized that we had to move back to the UK. I was living in Israel. Esther was in the UK. So I moved to the UK, which I had to give up in the reform movement. So they left me only with Mariv, which unfortunately isn't a good wage. So I am looking for a another job which I can do from remote or from the, anywhere in the UK. I wanted to ask you about your relationship with your family. You said you're 7 of 14. Uh, yeah. I'm also a middle child, not that many children. I have an amazing, amazing relationship with every, every single one of my siblings. In fact, yesterday I was at the breast of one of my brother's children who had a baby boy and many of the UK members of the family were all there. We have a WhatsApp group. Yeah, we do have issues occasionally. We have an agreement not to speak about religion or politics because that can get quite heated. But my family respect me. I respect them. And I visit them often. Okay, so that's really beautiful to hear. I just want to double down here a little bit because you talk about pluralism and everyone needing to respect each other and you have been able to find that with your spouse. However, very often it's quite hard to find that with the people closest to you, which in your case, when you're talking about relationship with your parents and your siblings, most touchy subjects are advised to avoid be avoided so not to get too heated correct so yeah. how how do you really 
recommend, you know, in terms of you being so passionate about these issues, but when it comes to religion, especially, and in Israel, religion and state are very intertwined. Practically speaking, you know, when it comes to family and censorship, and you're a journalist, how do the two mesh? When it comes to my family, I think that a lot of my family need to learn that aspect of pluralism. But I feel that part of pluralism is not changing others. I'll tell you, one of my family members, I was one in my home, and unfortunately, it did get to politics. And this family member said, all Arabs are killers. So I said, no, not all Arabs are killers, and there are Jews that have killed Arabs as well. And this family member said to me, well, name one. I said, well, Baruch Goldstein. And this family member said, well, I think Baruch Goldstein was right. And my face fell, and I felt I could not stay there in the house while this family member was there. And I left the house, and I called one of my other siblings. And I said, I just can't. I can't be there when they feel that Baruch Goldstein, who murdered 16 Arabs in cold blood, uh, is right. And this family member said, just think that it was just after my engagement. And he said to me, just think, if let's say you want a green pepper and your wife-to-be, Esther, wants a red pepper. Now you can argue, no, I want a green pepper, I want a red pepper. Or you can go in the middle and say, you know what? I won't bring a green pepper, I won't bring a red pepper, I'll bring an orange pepper. And people have different opinions. And that's not going to change. But it's respecting one another by saying, I agree to your opinion. I agree that, I, I disagree, I disagree the way you think. But I'm looking for the good in others. And I said that to Itama ben I said, Itama, I hate your racism. I hate your homophobia. But one thing that I see about you is that when someone's in trouble, unfortunately it's only when Jews are in trouble, but when the Jews are in trouble, who's the first to run to help? You are. And he said to me, you know what, Josh? You're one of the only left-wingers that I like. And afterwards, my mother told me that my grandfather, Zechat Tzedek said that once one of her siblings or family members said something against a non-Jew or non and my grandfather said, we can learn from every single person something. And that's what we got to respect every single person by learning from their good. Not taking their bad for ourselves, but looking what's good in that person and learning from there. And that's why I learned that valuable aspect of pluralism is looking what's the good in the person, respecting other people's abuse. It's okay to abuse, but don't judge a person on those views. Okay, something to think about. I used to actually work for the CER. I'm curious as a journalist what your thoughts are on on the work and, and the organization. 
I think VR doing incredible, incredible work in improving the Asper relationships and improving the relationships between government and world jury and improving the relationships between the understanding on the Jewish world and what I've seen and what I've covered in CER have just blown me away and that kind of coverage and aspect that they have and that loving for one another. If you look at Gadi Gronich, the CEO, if you see him in event, he's running between person to person, running around the people and just saying, hello, what's up? And that, and your father as well takes time to speak to every single person. It's that kind of energy is what brings the world jewelry to a better place. I spoke to one of the heads of in the Malta community several times after the CER event. And he said to me, we in Malta, we very much believe in respect for one another. But it's CER that taught us on how to properly respect one another. And that is what CER does, is respect one another, change one another, change the way the, way the world looks on world jewelry in, in total. You've really demonstrated over the last 40 minutes of us speaking together how even though you do have a difference of opinion and a difference in lifestyle choices, you're still very much within the Jewish community and respect it and care for it what happens in it is happening to you as well. It emotionally and intellectually triggers you, but enough to for you to want to participate and make change, not where you're running away and excluding I, yourself. I'll tell you that some of things. When I was in New York two weeks ago, I, you, it's my first visit to the USA now. I went there for a conference. The first day was the conference. Not any other person would say, my first time in USA, I'm going to go and tour and go and see the site. That's not me. I asked my editor for the Asper Jewelry because I felt that the Asper Jewelry is important. So in that trip to New York, I went to New Jersey in order to cover a conference on the Chamber of Orthodox Jewish uh, Commons. I went to Yeshiva University for a meeting with the head of the communications. I went to 770 to meet up with people there in Chabad because I feel that it's working together as a whole with all the different aspects of the Asper jury is what makes that change, is what makes that difference in the world. So, yeah, on the last day, I did go on the Staten Island Ferry because it had to be done. But my, I, when I go uh, away, I once went to Ukraine on a real estate deal with a, a friend of mine. And while I was there, I went to speak to the spokesman in the Israeli embassy in Ukraine. I went to speak to the reform Jewish community in Ukraine because that's who I am. It's not about seeing the sites. It's not about being world. I said recently in an interview for Ali Kurd newspaper, which wrote an article about me 
a flattering article about me, which shows the kind of person I am, that even Likud wrote an article about a, a merits activist. And I, I said that, that one of my dreams is to get the Israeli Fast Israel and English knighthood for my work on equality. I wouldn't say no as the Nobel Peace Prize for peace around the world as well. That as well, I wouldn't say no to. But that's what I want is to be that one that they say, Josh is the one that changed the way of people, how people look at other people. Whether it's not only that aspect on disability, it's that aspect on looking on how they change the world and how one looks at one another, whether they're religious, non-religious, LGBTQ, on their sexual preferences, their gender preferences, we have to respect one another. Thank you so much, Josh, for coming on to the show. And it was such a pleasure speaking with you and learning how you think and what you do. No, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening until the end. I love hearing from you. So if you have feedback, please reach out to me. My email is in the show notes. And if you'd like to join the WhatsApp discussion group, you can also join by messaging me. We are getting incredible guests lined up for the next couple of weeks. I am still looking for somebody to volunteer their financial from lifestyle story. And I would love to do some more personal stories of being from or ex from an LGBT. So have a great week and see you next time. <laughs>